when we look at what happened on January 6th with the storming of the U.S. Capitol building by the Trump rally gone riot, one of the, the biggest questions and arguments that is being fronted by the left is that, look, this is case in point of racism happening in America, that if President President-elect Joe Biden said if this was done by BLM, there would be a totally different response. Everyone would have been shot. Well, I, first, I'd like to point out that an unarmed woman who was illegally entering the building was shot. So I don't think we can make the argument that nobody was shot. It seems like there was use of violence. But today on this episode, we are going to break down the events of BLM when it all started back in late May of 2020 in the response of the police and the response of the police in D.C. We're going to touch a little bit on why the National Guard was not there. And most importantly, we're going to look at what happened in the timeline that that happened in D.C. on January 6th with the Trump rally turned riot. I'm Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to the Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Today, I, I had this question. There was not space to put it in the previous episode, but I felt like it was a, a question worthy to look at and to take some time at breaking apart what what was the response of the police? Why wasn't the National Guard there on the mall? And how does this compare with the reaction of the the law enforcement officers in 2020 with the Black Lives Matter r- rallies and protests, um, 7% of which turned into uh, violent riots, and this Trump protest that has turned into a riot and is really turning everything upside down in America. We'll see how everything goes. But in order to do this, we are going to really quickly look at this article from PolitiFact, which is a fact-checking website that they have already kind of put a comparison together of Black Lives Matter's protest and the Capitol assault comparing the police response. And they put together a really succinct look. And I think they took into account one of the most important uh, issues that I see when we're comparing the two and the, the most glaring issue that I have with the argument when people say, well, they're just being treated completely differently. Look how the police treated the, the, the rioters in D.C. versus the Black Lives protest and the rioters in Black Lives Matter. So first, if, if we start off looking at, at this article, it says the police response to the assault and vandalism of the federal Capitol building has unleashed a wave of comparison to the summer of Black Lives Matter protests in D.C. President-elect Joe Biden said the restrained handling of the Trump supporters at the Capitol reflected unequal justice, and his granddaughter has sent him a row upon row of soldiers in riot gear at the Lincoln Memorial taken in June. Now, first point to mention, here's, if if you're looking on YouTube, looking online, here's this picture of police, National Guard, lined up in riot gear, 
defending the Lincoln Memorial. And this is the, the main image that's being used to say, look, look what they did for BLM versus the, the MAGA Trump rally. This is totally unfair. This is totally unjust. And this is a sign of white supremacy and racism. Well, if you look at if, if you look at the, the date of when this was posted and when this happened, this was on June 3rd. If you remember, the riots started about June 26th, I believe, in Minneapolis, where Minneapolis burned down to the ground. The, the police abandoned the police precinct. We did an episode on this and interviewed someone who was there, who went into the police precinct and had to flee as it was being burnt down and, and rioters outside were shooting at the police precinct. They did not defend the police precinct. They abandoned it and just gave it over to the rioters. Now, you have to remember that the Black Lives Matter protests started happening in Washington, D.C., as it says down here in this article, on May 29th. After the Minneapolis police killed George Floyd, this is the timeline between the Black Lives Matter protest on the Capitol in May and the the Trump rally turned riot that happened in January 6th. So it says after the Minneapolis police killed George Floyd, Black Lives Matter protests spread across the nation on Friday, May 29th, around a thousand people marched onto D.C. to call for justice and an end to police brutality. So that's May 29th. This photo is five, six days later on June 3rd, after a week. This photo comes after a week of violence in Washington, D.C. We see photos of Washington, D.C. burning. So these, these photos, first, they do not accurately present the same point in the timeline, we have to go back to, well, what happened on day one when they showed up, not how were they treated on day seven after seven days of protests and that often were turning into violent riots. And here they are. They are protecting a national monument because there's already been seven days of violence. We've already seen at this point over seven days of violence widespread across America where police precincts are being burnt down to the ground. So we have to remember that first. Continuing on with the timeline, on Friday, May 29th, around 1,000 people marched through D.C. to call for justice and to end police brutality. Tensions flared when some protesters stopped at the White House, pushing down metal barriers that separated them from law enforcement before the march continued on through the city. Around 11.30 p.m. that night, a more intense round of protests took place outside the White House. Secret Service, D.C. police, and Park Police used chemical agents to disperse demonstrators. The crowd split around 3.30 a.m. after a line of officers advanced through Lafayette Park holding shields and firing chemical agents. Okay, so at 11.30 at night, it becomes a little bit more tense. They're already in the day. They're marching. Now, 11.30, it's becoming more intense, and they finally break them up at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. News outlets reported that the White House briefly went into lockdown and that Trump was rushed into an underground bunker. However, no protesters penetrated the grounds. 
The next day, following day, police officers used tear gas, horse-mounted charges, pepper spray, shields, batons, rubber bullets, and protests on protesters and journalists covering the demonstration. So this is where we're seeing on the next day, on the next day is where we're seeing a, a, an increased use of force after protests all across the nation. It says on June 1st, nearly 300 protesters were arrested on the night of June 1st. Remember, they started on the 29th. Now, June 1st, we see 300 people arrested. This is where people are really comparing the protests from July, January 6th, excuse me, to the protests of BLM in D.C. They're looking at these numbers from June 1st rather than looking at the numbers from the 29th when it first broke out where there was signs that something was going to happen. When we fast forward to January 6th, we see that Trump supporters are, are marching up to a portable metal barricade while the Congress is in session, uh, certifying the votes to put Biden in as the president of the United States. And in the first moments, there is a little sense that the marchers would plow through. They're just kind of talking. And then one person decides to press on and the momentum swelled. Marchers of the officers struggled to gain control over the crowd and the barricade. The weight of the crowd soon sent officers sprawling backwards. A marcher punched an officer. An officer punched a Trump supporter and the march became a riot. The police ran back towards the Capitol building with the mob running close behind them. By 1.15 p.m., a line of police were tussling with Trump supporters on the steps of the Capitol. Rioters shoved police officers, spraying chemical irritants, hitting them with lead pipes. The police deployed flashbangs and pepper spray in an attempt to ward off the crowd. By 1.46 p.m., Representative Elaine was evacuated from her office after a report that a pipe bomb was discovered nearby. Supporters of the president are trying to force their way onto the Capitol, and I can hear what sounds like multiple gunshots, she tweeted. At 2.11 p.m., rioters penetrate the police perimeter on the west side of the Capitol and begin to climb the wall. A male intruder shatters windows at the south side of the building and climbed inside with other members of the mob. Ten minutes later, Vice President Pence was escorted from the chamber. And also note, I don't know where this comes in the timeline, but there are videos where there are the police opening the doors and, and letting, letting people into the building, which I find mind-boggling. Like, why are you opening the doors and letting people in? It, yeah, it's just weird. Why would you do that? A, a video posted to Twitter at 2.21 p.m. shows rioters breaking the glass door on the Capitol. Minutes later, police were photographed attempting to talk down the mob after tear gas was set off in the building. So they're using tear gas at 2.21. So we look at the timeline, that's an hour and six minutes later, the police are using tear gas. This went from a peaceful protest, remember, fiery but mostly peaceful protests of the summer. This went to a peaceful protest, a bunch of people carrying banners saying, back the blue, and all of a sudden, in a moment, it, in an hour and six minutes, tear gas is being released 
on the riots, and rightly so. So they try to talk them down after tear gas is set off in the building. Police escort lawmakers and journalists from both the House and the Senate chambers to secure the location. And an armed standoff between police and rioters occurred at the doors of the House chambers. Rioters gained access to the Senate chambers and paraded around the room. It was quite the scene. Around 2.45 p.m., plainclothes police officers shot a woman as she attempted to break into the speaker's lobby. The woman later identified as Air Force veteran Ashley Bambit eventually died from the injuries. Around 3 p.m., the Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy activated the entire National Guard, agents from the FBI, U.S. Marshal Service, and Department of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives were deployed to gain control of the building. So now we're looking at an hour and 45 minutes in, National Guard is deployed. Now, it's also important to note that the the National Guard wasn't deployed before because the Metro DC police said, you know, we don't need the National Guard to be here. There was a lot of criticism from last year with the National Guard when they tear gassed a crowd uh, to allow Trump to walk across to a church, St. Andrew's Church, I believe, that was burnt down to the ground in the previous nights of protest. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of rhetoric about, you know, how cops are horrible, cops are bad, we don't want them in our city. And so there was probably some tensions. There's lots of different things that I'm hearing about why exactly the guard wasn't there. But regardless, what it does come down to is that they were requested, but the Metro DC police essentially said, we have this under control. We feel that that will only escalate the situation. At this point, we don't see that there was going to be a need for uh, the, the National Guard. Clearly, they were mistaken. And three hours later, two, two and a half hours into it, they're called on. And they start coming into D.C. An officer told CNN that the police had cleared the Senate floor of rioters by 3.30 p.m., although protesters were still massing in other parts of the building. According to the sergeant at arms, the Capitol was finally cleared at 5.40 p.m., 20 minutes before Washington's curfew set in. So 5.40 p.m., it's cleared. The U.S. Capitol building is cleared. They are in there for a total of four and a half hours about. From 1.15 to 5.40, they are in the Capitol building. So this, this whole thing happened over a span of four hours inside the Capitol building. And in that time, we at least see, we see a total of five people lost their lives. One lady shot inside the Capitol building we received photos of blood and, and people assaulted, police officers assaulted, a police officer lost his life, whether that happened inside or outside the Capitol building, I do not know. But the incident inside was a total of four hours. And in that time, tear gas was used. And the police are, at this point, as we'll read on, are totally overwhelmed. And they are deciding right now, we need to de-escalate this situation. We can't arrest all these people because we don't have the manpower. After curfew, law enforcement officers 
clad in body armor, began to use aggressive tactics similar to the ones they had used on Black Lives Matter protesters, advancing on riders and whacking them with batons. Now, this is PolitiFact. This is the same article that I referred to or the same website that I referred to in this previous episode that I did where in some ways I, I criticize them where they say, well, Black Lives Matter really isn't responsible for the the destruction and the death because there's other actors involved. So th- they're definitely not a right-leaning publication. You can't come and say, oh, well, you know, they're biased towards Trump or this is some conservative right-winged media outlet. It's not. It's quite center, if not leaning left. So there's that to keep in mind as we carry on. In view of Representative Tim Ryan, Democrat from Ohio, head of the House Committee that controls the Capitol Police budget, the assault on the Capitol building stemmed from a false premise behind Capitol Police planning. Ryan said that a week before the march, the Capitol Police assured him that everything was under control. Ryan said that he was told they expected a pretty vanilla, quote-unquote, vanilla protest. There wasn't going to be any kind of violence anticipated, Ryan said. Maybe some dust-ups, maybe some issues around people trying to get guns into the District of Columbia, where they have very strict gun laws, but absolutely nothing like this. The people who studies crowds and police say there is ample reason to plan for a much more aggressive group. There was clear intelligence about where this was headed, said Arizona State University criminologist Ed McGuire. All you had to do is go on Parler, the alt-right social media platform. I don't think it's alt-right. But of course, that's what everything's being framed as. If if it's on the right, it's alt-right. So there you have it. I was on there the night before, and there was talk about violence. This is an open source material, and the police would have had more. The article goes on, and Ryan says that riders on January 6th came armed with metal pipes, pummeled officers, and sent half a dozen to the hospital with head injuries. The outnumbered and poorly equipped Capitol Police fell back. The mob freely entered the Capitol, and once inside, researchers say the police had limited options in the chaos. The situation produced scenes that have drawn the harshest comparison to Black Lives Matter protest, heavily armed police hugged the walls as the mob swirled past them. One helped a rioter down the steps as she left the building. Another, as a departing rioter, snapped a selfie with the Capitol Police officer. And I'm sure you've seen pictures of, you know, old ladies <laughs> with little drinks walking around like they're on some on some tour. So, you know, it, it was quite the comical crowd um, just, I, I just I, comical. You know, we see people with just the craziest, weird suits on there, uh, mobbing around. It's just like, what is going on? It's like gamers and and old ladies took over the Capitol building. It, it's, uh, yeah, I I don't know what's going on. With of course the grave exception to the atmosphere when an officer shot and killed a woman as she tried to enter a secure area. Here's, here's the, the final analysis of PolitiFact. The choice to de-escalate or dominate. Initially, the police arrested 14 people for unlawful entry to the Capitol. 
The number grew to about 40. While that is only a small fraction of the hundreds that were part of the mob, it is on the same scale of the first arrests of the Black Lives Matter protests. Six on the first night and 19 on the second, with hundreds more in the days that followed. So this is, this is the crux of it, because the argument is, well, not as many people were arrested. This is clearly white supremacy. You, you know, the police didn't use as much force as before. But if we, if we look at the beginning, the first night of the Black Lives Matter protest, it lasted, once it got intense around 1130 at night, it lasted about four hours into the middle of the night. And they say that first night, six people were arrested on the second night. So the second day, this is now lasting much, much longer than this protest at the, the Trump protest lasted. 19 were arrested in Black Lives Matter and then hundreds more in the following days. Now, after, another point is after the curfew started, after the National Guard started showing up, we see, we see that they did use the appropriate level of force in using tear gas and rubber bullets and, and attacking this mob and pushing them back and restoring order to the U.S. Capitol building. The article goes on, but as much as the limited effort to make arrests, it's the casual demeanor of the police that has angered Black Lives Matter supporters. They point to the image of the soldier at the ready at the Lincoln Memorial and the line of officers firing pepper balls and charging protesters in front of the White House. The point here, when we're comparing this, if, if this went on, this Trump riot, went on for a number of days or weeks, we would see the same response. And we look and there was actually less people arrested in the Black Lives Matter protests on the first night than there were at these Trump rallies that turned into riots. We look and we see that there was, there was the same amount of force that was used the first night as was used on those first and second nights of the Black Lives Matters protests in Washington, D.C. And that is already on top of cities across America being burnt down to the ground. We have to remember that, that people were looting stores in D.C. and were not being arrested. We have to remember that people were looting targets and burning down Los Angeles. And they were, they were allowed to do it, that cops were told to just abandon their station. And just to, to let cop cars get burnt down to the ground. So we have to remember that when we're comparing the two, if, if we look at the, the amount of time and we look at the, the expectations and we compare them to, to the same point in the protests, in the riots of what happened over the past summer, we can actually say, well, it's actually pretty comparable. It's actually doesn't look like there's you know some extreme amount of bias that was taking place or racism but of course in 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 our in our anti-racist culture it, it, the question is no longer did racism exist it's how did racism occur it's not did racism occur but how did it occur in this situation so if you're going if you're looking through that lens and if everything that you see is coming through the lens of critical race theory which, which was sprung out of 
which sprung out of Marxism, which sprung out of postmodernism in this, this saying that everything is pitted against one another. And it was a very intentional strategy that was deployed. And it's written about in the book, The Naked Communist. It's written about how they are going to intentionally, once they find out, and Dr. Stephen Hicks writes about this too, once they realize that we can no longer pit the bourgeoisie against the proletariat. We can no longer pit the ruling class versus the working class. It doesn't work because capitalism actually does work. Once they figured that out, they said, okay, we got to put and pit people against each other somehow. So we'll use the color of their skin. We'll use their prejudices. We'll use their, their, their gender, their identity. And, and that's birthed intersectional race theory. So when, you, when that is your worldview, when everything that you look through Everything that you see is how did racism occur here? Of course, you will paint that narrative. Of course, you will paint that narrative. But according to PolitiFact, which again, as I mentioned, is a center, if not left, where they are more apt to, to favor something that is on the left and have a more liberal stance, even they... Even they say that it is on the same scale of arrests and that it is, it is very similar to the action that was taken before in the summer. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, the part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday life so that we can weave our destiny and own our future. I love wisdom. I love little quotes. And this is one of the favorite parts of my show. This, uh, this quote, it, I think it ties in a little bit to the bigger macro picture that we're seeing um, right now within society and culture, especially with what we're seeing in America but also what we're seeing uh, worldwide, really, in, in culture, uh, especially when we have this globalist versus nationalist narrative. It seems that the escalation and the acceleration of culture because of the connectivity of the world and media. Now, right now, we're all going through a lot of the same things when it comes to, to COVID-19 across the globe. Some nations are handling it very differently than others. Um, some better than others. Some, the situations are very different. So, but in the same way, we've all kind of gone through a lot of the similar things this year. One thing that, uh, as we all go through this together, there is, in my opinion, an increasing polarization between ideologies and people. And there seems to be and whether it's just perceived because of our access to global media or whether it's actually true, but there seems to be a, a further and further entrenching of two sides of the aisle. And our inability to come together is only further increasing. And I, I feel and I fear that the, what's happening in America right now is a sign or, or is it's it's a telling sign that things are shifting and accelerating on a global global level. 
Um, you know, I think admittedly, we can all look at the world and see that America is still hanging on as a superpower of the world. It is the one that is filling up the most space and holding that power balance in the world, whether people like it or not, whether it is right or not, that is not a, a statement that I'm trying to make. It's just a, an observation that I think most people know and understand. What happens? What happens when that changes? What happens if in sooner than we think maybe America is no longer the superpower that's holding holding a, a level of homeostasis right now in the world, whether it's for the better or for the worse. I think there's a lot of places we can look and say homeostasis right now is not something we need. We look across Yemen and we can say homeostasis right now is not what we need. We need a change. We need we need a resolution. We need answers. We need to solve these problems where 18 million people are on the brink of starvation and death in Yemen today. So there's real issues that that expand far beyond real issues that expand far beyond the 300 400 million people that live in the United States of America 95% of the population of the world lives outside of the United States of America so uh i, I just i just i don't want to ever forget that and I, I don't cuz i don't live in America even though i'm a US citizen but i don't want you to forget that either that the world in some ways right now it does it does center around America America because it is a superpower but it doesn't revolve around it our lives don't revolve around it the quote for today comes from Friedrich Nietzsche and it is a great quote i think i've probably mentioned it a few times here on the show already it goes like this beware that when fighting monsters you yourself do not become a monster for when you gaze long into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. And that in many ways is the theme from the previous episode and just a thought that I, I wanted to highlight in this episode, that when we are fighting something, we have to be careful not to become the very thing that we fight. And that is, that is why we need truth. It is why we need a moral compass. It is why we need to be able to discern good from evil and right from wrong. For both sides, for both people, for both the, the globalists and the nationalists, so that we have to find what is the moral compass, the moral fabric of a global society that we can hang on to that we can build, build a, a society and a people and a nation around so that we can see, see clearly, not through warped lenses, which skews everything that we see. But when we start fighting for something that we believe and we're in the thick of battle and we're, we're striving and we're struggling and we're trying to figure out how to overcome, how to make whether it's the world a better place or just our lives a better place. It can become tempting to cut corners and compromise on our integrity. We say, well, it's just a, just a little bit here. It's a little bit there. But we have to be careful that we do not turn in 
to the very thing that we seek to overcome. That is all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the show, for being here with me. If you listen to the show, if you enjoy it, or even if you hate it, uh, please tell your friend, text them, WhatsApp them, message them. And sharing the show would mean so much to us here at the show. It would be so helpful to, to get it out there to people who are, are hungry, hungry for truth, hungry to, to see the world just a little bit more clearly today than they did yesterday. That's all for the show. Remember, you are a you are a truth seeker. You are a purpose, person with purpose, with divine destiny and meaning in your life. So I hope this week that you go out and own your future.